how do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions, and this show is the answer. Welcome, everybody, to the Scale Up Show. I got not one, but two, two special guests today. I have Tony Hughes and Justin Michael, co-authors of the new book. Read it right here. Tech Powered Sales, absolutely amazing. Uh, I dug deep into that book. So let me give you a quick intro to these guys and then we'll we'll get into what this is all about because it's absolutely amazing. So Tony is an international keynote speaker, best-selling author, professional selling educator, and award-winning blogger to one of the most read LinkedIn authors globally. He's got over 35 years of sales and business leadership experience. Uh, and he is the CEO and co-founder of Sales IQ, has done a lot of other major consulting engagements for some of the largest companies in the world, multiple time best-selling author. Um, so that's Tony. If that isn't enough for you, then we got Justin as well. Justin set a world record for full cycle revenue creation in car- cutting edge startups. He's also co-host. Are you the host? Host or co-host? Co-host of the go-to-market games with Hype Cycle. Yeah. And then also the co-author of Combo Prospecting that he wrote with Tony prior to writing Tech Powered Sales. And he also consults for companies on top of funnel revenue. Gentlemen, welcome. Happy to have you on. Thanks, Ryan. Good on you, buddy. Really looking forward to it. Yeah, looking forward to it for sure. Uh, Tony's been an amazing mentor to me for, is it 10 years now? Something amazing. So it's uh, really cool, the power of mentorship across oceans, uh, Santa Barbara to Sydney. Yeah, I, I would say that's that's pretty impressive. Most marriages don't even last 10 years. So I think that's... <laughs> I think that's awesome that you've had a 10-year mentorship. So I gave like a super quick version of your superhero origin stories. I think it'd be awesome if you guys gave, because I, you know, I can only do it some justice, right? If you each gave, you know, like a quick 30-second summary to, you know, you, the listeners, so that they could hear a little bit more background about you, and then we'll get right into it. So Tony, you want to first Ryan, the thing for me is I, I started my business life when I was young. At 25, I went to the USA and start, started a company in the States. Uh, when I came back to Australia, uh, I decided to get into selling. Uh, and I've been in selling for about 35 years. I know that makes me really old. I ended up rising through the ranks in sales to be the CEO running the Asia-Pacific region for a number of North American multinationals. And about 10 years ago, I left the corporate world and now I consult to some of the biggest brands in the world on how to solve their B2B go-to-market problem. And the number one issue that everybody says they have is they just don't have enough opportunity pipeline. So that's an area that I really landed on. And that was how I really got to know Justin. And it was an honor to co-author Tech Powered Sales with him. Awesome. Great background, Tony. How about you, Justin? Can you give a quick snippet on you as well, buddy? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm almost uh, 42, so I've been in sales for over 20 years and uh, always had a knack for cracking the top funnel. And um, yeah, I was uh, always in the SDR world, even before the SDR world started. So back in 2011, I'd been in incubators for 10 years and I read Aaron Ross's book. And so I was in 13 startups and just always focused on that problem. And I think as there was more and more automation being tested, what basically happened is the prospect base didn't get bigger, but the amount of emails and calls and basically all the attempts to reach just, you know, the quality went down and the volume went up. And so I've been obsessed for 10 years with 
systems and methods for opening new business and just become something of a living encyclopedia for everything you could find. So I was really actually happy to find Jeremy Donovan and all of his scientific tests of like, okay, hey versus hi, and here's six million emails. So Tony and I studied his work and put that into the um, to the book. But yeah, I, um, I worked for some famous companies, but mainly I was just always, anytime I was on a sales team, I was put into the same position of help us crack the top funnel. And uh, went to Tony to really think about how do you get strategic with everything? Because uh, what happened is a lot of the legendary salespeople are buried uh, in the LinkedIn feed. For example, I've now become friends with Aaron Ross and Mike Bosworth. And well, I did a cameo once with Lindsay Lohan and people don't know who that is. So yeah, I think the <laughs> apocalypse is here. That's, that's my background. <laughs> oh, that's great. So we got, we got top, top of funnel, then we got the pipe, the yin and the yang. Two man weave here. Um, so I, I love it. And, you know, I read through this book and there's a lot of things that jumped out at me and, and kind of like you, Justin, I'm not as grizzled a veteran as Tony is, but I'm on my way, right? I'm, I'm getting there. And so, and I don't mean that as a knock, Tony, man, you're, you're unbelievable at what you do. And I learn something new every time I talk to you. And so I guess like from, and I'll throw it over to you guys back over, I'll volley back over to you, but like, you know, there's... There's so many different areas that you kind of focus this on. So let's, I want to take it from a little bit of a different step. Okay. First of all, like, let's start with tech powered sales and, you know, can you give like a 30 second summary once again, just on the book, which isn't going to do it justice. And then I want to get deeper so that we could talk about like awesome strategies and tactics that folks could leverage uh, to implement it immediately and get the book, of course. <laughs> Why don't you lead off Justin? Go buddy. Yes, yeah, so I had been having a conversation with Steve Richard from Exec Vision, mm-hmm. and um, I was talking about you know what what it would be like to go out and be a speaker in B two B SaaS, and he um, was talking about how there really wasn't a book that had sequences. And I had been in a company as a VP of Ops where they invested a few million to figure out what are the exact sequences that you put in outreach and sales loft and reply that will work. Well, at the same time, Tony was giving speeches, I believe, on something called TQ. I don't know if we hit this moment at the same time, but we were starting to think about a technology quotient. Like if you have IQ and you have EQ, why is it that some people use the tech, they get it, they, it's intuitive. Now, these platforms are built to be intuitive, but strangely, um, salespeople tend to be um, technology avoidant. And then we thought, okay, if there's a distinct skill that you could build, that would be the only way to write this book. Because if we just do a tech stack analysis, it'll be stale in a month. It'll be stale mm-hmm. in a year. So it's like, is there a way to learn how to learn the tech stack so the AI can't replace you? Is there a place where we can actually lower the veil on what is being put into these platforms because we couldn't find it? With a RevOps tag, Revenue Operations seems really popular. You looked on LinkedIn, I think it just hit 1,000 followers. If you put in you know, SaaS, it's 20 million. So this stuff is like, it's esoteric and we're five years ahead of the market and we couldn't release the book for a couple of years. There's delays and COVID and supply chain. What's crazy is it's still perfectly relevant. Uh, it's just like, you know, names have been changed to protect the innocent. What would you say, Tony? Yeah, this new category of technology sales engagement platform, you know, is obviously kind of the hot thing at the moment. But the thing I see is people are just burning through lists really quickly and they're getting their domain dinged or blocked. 
uh, and they're actually damaging their own brand and reputation in the market. So what's happening is people are loading into their Gatling gun of automation, just rubbish messaging and spam. So what we've tried to do in this book is get old school meets new school, think about the strategy and the techniques that you can uh, apply technology to, to try and increase your effectiveness and reach. And the thing we really open the book and say is that, is that the future of technology is where a buying intent meets seller relevance and that matchmaking, that introduction is actually done by technology. So we know there's tech out there that's been around for a while and, and in the, on the marketing side of the business with MarTech, th things like Bombora, for example, are good at, at monitoring for buyer sentiment. But the problem is that's a red ocean shark feeding frenzy and you are often late. So the more powerful thing is really trigger events that signal earlier intent. Because by definition, strategic, ex strategic selling means engaging early at senior levels, co-creating the business case, creating positive bias toward us. So what we really try and do in the book is, how do you use technology to actually operate strategically? Because if we talk about us and what we do, we'll appeal to maybe 3% of the market that are looking for what we do. But at least 40% of the market will be open to change if we can find a way to break through with the right conversation. So the thing we talk about is you need to have the right message, a message about that person's opportunity to drive improved results in their role, rather than the message that most sellers have, which is about them and what they do. So most of the messaging is just awful. And we talk about that in the book as well. Okay. Love that. Love that you mentioned and highlighted uh, the trigger effect. Justin, also like what you talked about or trigger events, I should say, I'm a big believer in that too. And I highlighted that. Um, I've been, here's the thing. I've been highlighting that and what I, I, I've done and how I help people for a while. And that was actually something that got the biggest response from a group of CROs that I presented to. So awesome to hear that you're referencing that. Want to go a little bit deeper. And then, you know, some of the stuff that you're talking about too, Justin with, or uh, Tony, you mentioned with the Gatling gun of, of spam that people are leveraging. Um, so I want to break down both of those topics. So so Tony, throw it back to you on the on the trigger piece, the trigger event. You know, what are the top three most critical trigger events that, and I'll throw this out to both of you guys, but that that you see that strike the biggest chord of relevance in terms of um, increasing conversions? Like what are the top trigger events that you look at? Yeah, so, so in the book, we talk about the four types of, of trigger events and also a hat tip to Craig Elias, you know, who's talked about trigger events for a while as well. Um, so for those that are listening to this, a trigger event is something that occurs in the marketplace that creates awareness of need or opportunity in the mind of the buyer, and it creates some contextualization for the conversation with us. The most powerful trigger event is a role-based trigger event. And the reason we know that is that a new C-suite executive appointed into a role is almost always put into that role to affect change. And they've got typically a five-month window where they're the golden-haired child chosen one. Um, and they get backed. If they ask for resources, they usually get what they want. After five to seven months, they become another tired, broken person sitting around the boardroom <laughs> table or the boardroom Zoom meeting that's not delivering for the CEO, right? But if they come in and say, hey, if they're the head of sales, for example, hey, we need a new CRM, the CEO will say, great, go and make it happen. They, they go back with that kind of request two years later. The CEO is thinking, 
don't try and blame our current CEM for your lack of performance in leading the sales team, right? It's a very different conversation. So uh, if, if you can be very clear about your ideal customer profile, right? So you profile up what, what constitutes a really good product market fit for you. Then you understand uh, with your ideal customer profile, you then understand the buyer personas with whom you need to engage to form consensus for change in any kind of decision. Then you monitor for the trigger events in that power base in an organization. So the role-based ones are the most powerful. Uh, and every new person into a role is looking for some low-hanging fruit, some quick wins in their role. Uh, so that so that's definitely the most powerful. Uh, the, the other one is trigger events around growth. So for example, if you thought uh, I sell to companies that are growing, um, let, let's imagine again the CRM example, right? You sell a CRM mm-hmm. system. You think, well, I'm after, say a, say, a tech company. That vertical, that industry vertical invests a lot in tech and how they go to market and sell. I'm looking for someone that's grown, is growing. What would be my trigger event? Well, maybe it's a series B or C capital raise. So the trigger event would be capital raise. And you'd simply contact the CEO and you'd say, hey, John, congratulations on the series B. Um, I know you've probably made some big growth commitments to the new investors and your board. Um, I've got some ideas and how you can actually de-risk that growth in a way that gives more confidence to the board. Do you mind if I ask? And then you ask them a question. So your point of view is relentlessly relevant about them driving improved results. So, so the right attributes in your ICP, monitoring the trigger events that occur that give you good context and awareness of need in their mind is how you get uh, much more productivity in sales and a shorter path to revenue. Love that. Yeah, it, the role definitely makes sense. And then, I, I mean, I've seen that firsthand with folks I'm talking to. They want to grow revenue. They just got a round of funding. Now they have the uh, proverbial gun to their head that they got to make it happen, right? Um, yeah. And not just happen, but happen fast. You know, like another one on the other side I've seen is like when companies merge, and they commit to the street that they're going to get five hundred million dollars in "quote unquote" synergies from the yep. merger. They gotta they gotta execute on cost savings, right? It's the other side of the the curve. So, strong exactly. believer. How about how about you, Justin? Any thoughts on that at all, man? Um, there's something like two thousand uh, solutions now for sales, and it's 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 over seven thousand for marketing, and I think marketing is now consolidating and crunching, which has a lot to do with like changes in Apple's tracking policies and other reasons too, where we're seeing a MarTech crunch. But basically, um, if you can follow what's in this book, you'll have a technology-backed edge. Uh, the people that read it can be five years ahead of the market. So um, 99% of the market will not implement this book. So if you buy this book and execute this book, it really is an unfair advantage. Like it, it doesn't matter how great of sales teams are against you because the systems in this book, it's like one person is, has the efficiency of a 10 person team for three months in like three weeks, in like six weeks. Because there's a variety of reasons and experiments that have been built. First off, a lot of the AEs and a lot of the account executives, they just rely on the SDR team to show up at the leads or inbound marketing. They become complacent or use networking. Uh, COVID's changed all that. We can't just show up at uh, Dreamforce and grab the leads or do the fancy dinners. I'm guilty of that myself, so I'm pointing the mirror right at myself. Um, if you improve your TQ and you adopt the stack and then you invest in it, I, I, we make four major uh, theses here, which are really, really controversial. Number one, you need to hire higher level people at your top funnel. 
that's expensive. Then you need to invest more in the tech stack, right? Two grand per rep per month, up to five grand per rep per month. Then you need to train them on the tech stack with RevOps, and then you need to train them on strategic sales. Wow, that's really expensive. Hire one less person and put that that money, that FTE cost, and spread it over to the people because do you want to have trained Navy SEALs with tactical armor, you know, base jumping in in the middle of the night from the Halo plane, or do you want... Really, people come to the restaurant and they're like, well, what's on the menu? I have no idea. Where do I sit? It's a mess. You know, like you wouldn't go have that in a $1,000 a head restaurant in New York, right? So why do we in B2B uh, pollute the top of the funnel, right? So uh, Tony, stop me here if I'm (laughs) getting off track. It's all great. It's all good. It's all good. I agree. No, you guys are hitting on something. So so let's talk through that a little little bit deeper. $2,000 a head. What does that consist of? And well, I, I'm sure you can talk categories, right? Not, I mean, you yeah, can talk so, specifics too, but I know you're, so, you're, you're not yes, we biased. Won't, we right? won't dive down the rabbit hole, but the thing we thing we talk about in the book is the, you know, is the essential stack, right? So, you know, we, we all know that, that, that right at the heart, you've got no chance of executing a customer-centric sales strategy unless you've got a CRM that includes integrated marketing automation, right? So... CRM and marketing automation all in one platform, single source of truth, manage entire customer lifecycle, find a way to, to map yourself to the buyer's journey, you know, through through ignorance all the way through to renewing and being an advocate for you, providing referrals. Then the next thing that everyone needs in B2B selling, uh, if they're in B2B selling, is, is LinkedIn Sales Navigator, right? It's a it's a real-time self-weeding garden as far as a database goes. It's in everyone's interest to keep their LinkedIn profile up to date, whether it's for vanity reasons or for them getting their next job. Um, now, LinkedIn itself has become this noisy, spammy echo chamber of recruiters and sellers. Again, a lot of people are damaging themselves in LinkedIn. Uh, techniques that worked a year ago don't work anymore. But just just from the point of view of a research database, you know, rather than a powerful outreach channel, although it is another outreach channel we should use, but just as a database, it's insanely powerful. Uh, if you're using a CRM uh, like uh, Microsoft uh, Dynamics or or, um, or Salesforce, you should look at getting integration, obviously, between Sales Navigator and those CRMs. Uh, and they're even pushing that down to platforms, I think, like Sugar CRM. So, so they're really the two big essential ones. And then on top of that, you definitely need sales intelligence, right? So you need to get mo- mobile phone numbers, email addresses. You can contact people. So I might let Justin go on, right, on the essential stack, and I think we nom- we nominated twenty or thirty things you you, you know you could have in the yeah. advance. But I'll keep going with you, Justin. Yeah, it's a layer cake. So the the two the concept here, right, is Henry Ford says, well, they just wanted faster horses, right? So this idea that we're in the twenty twenties and you can send a single email or you can dial a phone one at a time is it's primitive. It's the horse and wagon, right? The Emails are sent 50 to 150 per day. Phone Phones, physical phones, are always dialed between four and 10 times per attempt. There's no single dialing of phones. So there's this whole category of dialers with local presence. This is all great. Um, so that is called a PAD, a parallel assisted dialer. And it's companies like Connect and Cell and Aurum are two great examples. And they allow you to do 200 dials in 90 minutes, get five referrals in two or three meetings. That takes two eight-hour days, 16 hours of FTE time in two hours. Start doing the math on your team right now. What wouldn't you pay for that, right? It's cash register. Mm-hmm. Um, then you have SEPs, SEP, Sales Engagement Platform, um, which sit on top of, of NAV and the CRM. 
These are things like Outreach, SalesLoft, uh, RingDNA, which is now Revenue.io, which is pretty cool. Um, and then you have to have the ability in remote to listen. And for years, millions of sellers have been like, oh, I listen to my calls. No, they don't. Now you can. You have no excuse. Gong, Chorus, right, which is part of ZoomInfo, uh, Revenue.io, right, these platforms. So we all listen back, and it's now like we're sports stars. We can, like, watch the plays of our team. I wish I could get the recordings of the competitor team, right? <laughs> And then for triggers, you, you have stuff like intent, right? Things that um, allow you to parse the accounts by demographics, technographics, psychographics. If you have 10,000 accounts in mid-market, what do you do? You run tech on it and figure out the top 20% before you even attack that TAM or ICP. Um, and then it gets crazier and crazier, which I got to give Tony a lot of credit for finding like the far future reaches of DARPA and, you know, fighter planes that fly themselves. <laughs> yeah, Ryan, the, the, the way tech is advancing is just, is just mind boggling. A lot of people don't realize that it was three and a half years ago that AI started making voice phone calls to real human beings and passed the Turing test in really tough, complex environments. And then it all went really quiet. It's all gone quiet. Now, I know that the whole population of the planet would revolt, you know, if the bots started doing mass cold calling on the telephones to everybody right at scale. Um, there'd just be a, a massive revolt. It'll be legislated against. Um, but, but the rate of change with tech is insane. Um, uh, if you have a look at the game Go, it's, it's two and a half thousand years old. It's the most insanely complex game, massively more complex than chess. Um, and, and AI has mopped the floor with the best Go players in, on the planet. There's, no, there's nobody that can beat it. So technology is getting incredibly smart. We're, right now, we're in the era of narrow AI. We're moving into general AI. Uh, maybe 2050 plus, you know, we'll, we'll get to the singularity where maybe AI will de decide that the best way to save humanity is to dr dramatically reduce the population of people on the planet. <laughs> um, you know, so who really knows? But the thing we know is that if you're busy in sales doing what technology could do better, then your career's in deep trouble. So we have to focus on the truly, ele the, the truly human elements um, that, that create value for employer and customer. So things like our own sense of humidity, our own sense, sorry, sense of humor, our ability to navigate uh, politics, to be creative, to tell stories, to create emotional connection, to help someone build a business case, to secure consensus. Uh, all of those things tech will never do. Um, but if you're just sitting down laboriously trying to find the details for which prospect you should call, uh, then someone's going to be far more productive than you that's got that right kind of tech stack that Justin was talking about. Okay. I love that. You, you both dropped a lot there. So <laughs> a lot of different routes we can go. Uh, in. But let's let's apply this to some like specific tactical situations, right? So let's say you're a startup and you're founder-led. You don't have a big team yet. You need to make You need to make it happen, right? So we're, we're going from that zero to one. I want, I want you to go through each, each kind of like revenue progression. We go zero to one. How would you approach this and how would you handle it? Like in terms of setting up a tech stack and then how do you set something up where you don't have a full month of bandwidth to just create appointments for yourself? Well, the first thing is earn the right to invest in the tech stack and people by actually getting your act together as a founder. 
So most <laughs> founders have a lack of clarity about product market fit and their real ideal customer profile. They have not documented the, the buyer personas with whom they want to engage. So therefore, they're unclear about the problem they solve for that person in their role. They're unclear about how that person's measured in their role, and they therefore can't nail the messaging. So there's, there's no point investing money on automating if you haven't nailed the message based on truly knowing your buyer personas within your ICP. So if, if you don't get those first three things nailed, ICP, buyer persona, and messaging, then there's no point in investing in tech. Because the problem for most founders is they achieve a level of success based on their own magic. You know, it's their passion and evangelism for what they do gets mm -hmm. those initial customers all on board. Then the founder steps back and starts to hire some salespeople and says to, you know, says to themselves and their board, you know, what's wrong with all of the idiot salespeople? You know, why can't they go win customers? And the truth is you as the founder CEO need to use a mirror as the diagnostic tool because you're the problem. You haven't set them up for success. So unless you do those three fundamental things, now your ICP, your buyer persona, and your message, unless you do those first three things, there's no point investing in the technology to go to market because you're going to load rubbish into, again, the Gatling gun of automation. Okay. So totally agree with you on that. So let's say you do have that, right? Let's say you're whatever, you're, you're on your success. You got product market fit. You nailed those three areas. How would you approach it from zero to one, then maybe one to 10? You know, and then 10 plus million is what I'm saying. Like, because there's obviously jumps, right? You go from founder doing it all themselves yeah. to founder plus a few people to founder plus team. So like, as we're going through the, the TQ component of building out that team, how would you kind of approach it logically through those progressions? Well, the, the, the first thing I would do, and I'll throw it to Justin in a moment, but the first thing I would do is I'd make sure that my CRM and my marketing automation piece uh, actually supported a uh, full view of customer and supported the whole customer lifecycle. Uh, and then I'd be thinking about all of the issues of social proof um, mm -hmm. and the whole and the whole web to lead piece. So for anyone who's watching this that's in marketing, the, the big question we all need to ask ourselves is what do our potential customers look for online before they would ever know to look for us? So we so we need to provide a whole lot of content that speaks, to people doing their research once they're aware of some kind of problem. This is way before they'd ever know to look for us. Um, and, and Ryan, I know that, that you and I are into wakeboarding and wake surfing, right? When I when, when my family went from a ski boat to a wakeboard boat, we needed a, a, a bigger vehicle to tow the boat. <laughs> and and I, I got online and Googled, because uh, we, we work in kilos here, not pounds, right? Where I'm from, but, but, I, but I Googled online three and a half thousand kilo towing capacity. None of the four-wheel drive manufacturers had put up content against that term, right? And yet before I started looking at individual brands of four-wheel drives, I was looking around towing capacity. Mm -hmm. So the marketers in that industry hadn't thought about, well, that's, that's where they'll start. When I went to the boat dealer, uh, my, my boat's a Malibu. It's a, it's a legendary American brand of boat that's manufactured out here under license. There's one dealer in my state that I live in when I went there, because I'm interested in this stuff, I said to the dealer, hey, has any, has any four-wheel drive uh, manufacturer or dealer talked to you about a bit of a referral program? When you see someone walk in to look at the bigger boat and you see their vehicle isn't going to tow it, <laughs> you know, that's a chance to give a bit of a referral. 
right? And they said, actually, no, no one's ever come and talked to me about that. And the truth is someone buying a bigger uh, van to tow, caravan, or a bigger boat is a trigger event that creates the need to buy the car. And at, like at this most basic B2C level, people just aren't thinking about these things well. So before we start getting all fancy, we need to do the fundamentals. You know, in American football, you know, we, we need to block and tackle well, you know, rather than all the fancy stuff. You, you earn the right by getting the basics right. Love that. That's a great example. Great analogy. Justin, you got anything on that, man? All I would say is that the price of technology comes down. It's a lot like the Gordon Gecko in Wall Street with the Motorola StarTac phone. You know, that was $1,000 that you could like use one time. Um, there are sequencers, there are dialers, uh, there, this tech we're talking about that is affordable, that's single use. There's stuff for phone numbers. Um, basically, the cost is going to come all the way down. And uh, we call it like MacGyver tech stack. So if you're running Hyperlean, there's a whole bunch of vendors. And then if you have more investment, but you plan for this, you should plan to raise funds or have in your profit model reinvestments into your technology stacks for your go-to-market for outbound sales. That should be part of your budget. Where historically it's been like, how can we get, you know, people on board that we can pay the least and give the least tools and the least training? There's been this grand, you know, cutting, and then we have the mass reg resignation. You know, if we can engage them and train them and make the job interesting, 70% of what a human does is automatable. So you take all of selling, 70% is automatable. So we're in the fourth industrial revolution and we're in a crisis. In the first industrial revolution, we had the jungle and Upton Sinclair and the meatpacking industry. The conditions now are nice. You know, you're sitting in a comfy chair at home. It's not inhumane, but honestly, to take a human that just came out of college where their parents saved up, what, like 100000 a year or 20000 a year USD minimum, invest it, they come out with applied statistics major, economics major, and then we say, hey, sit in this chair and click this button in this SaaS platform all day doing research. We waste the human. So what we need to do is automate the pieces that are automatable and then give them sales training and strategic training, the kind I got from Tony, right? Go back to the Canon, to the old school. Oh, they didn't really know about sales in the 90s. No, everything happening in big ticket seven-figure deals is why the messaging is so bad now. Because you literally have new reps doing speeds and feeds and competitors and, oh, yeah, the competitor sucks, you know, like bashing. And they have no idea how to be strategic. And, and right, I do trainings on 10Ks and 10Qs. And, you know, what, what do you tell a CEO? Tony's got this show where he interviews CEOs. This amazing article where the CEO says exactly, here's exactly what you have to tell me as a seller to book a meeting with me. So it's uh, it's really what we're unlocking in the book is the way to solve that problem. And the big problem is when you give someone 20 live contacts an hour, they don't know what to do. They don't know how to talk to a live prospect now that they are. Yeah, I and I could I could talk to you guys about this for another couple of hours, but I know we don't have that much time. So, <laughs> um, but I love I love uh, how you're approaching it, and you know I love Tony that you push back or like, hey, you gotta you gotta get the foundation of the house before you start worrying about redoing the bathroom, you know, yeah. which is basically what you told me, um, in a nicer way, of course, right? But um, but here's what I would say is like. Um, you know, we're just about up in time. So I guess one of the questions I had for you guys, and, and we'll get close to wrapping up, is just really like, if we're looking at this, I mean, two questions, not one, two, let's leave two. Okay, what's what's the single biggest gap that you see in the entire tech space for sales right now? 
I'd love to hear what you both think on that. After you, Justin, I'll throw you under the bus. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, so the biggest thing we're doing is we're under-investing in sales technology. Um, the office of the chief marketing officer got capitalized even more, even more equal to the CIO. So if you're sitting in marketing, you can get an ABM tool for intent, 200 grand, it just gets approved. You want to do a wine flight, 25 grand remote, let's do a couple a month. You want to buy, you know, Cindy or Johnny, a hundred bucks a month tool to like, so they can figure out what the phone number is for what they're going to do. And they scream bloody murder. Like we're... We're actually really just selling out the sales function. We all have to invest again. Even though we've all been burned, it's just not going to work. We can't put all the money in marketing and believe only in the inbound. We have to move outbound and treat it extremely rigorously and seriously. Train, train, train our people, enable them, invest in RevOps, and you're going to get what you put into it. So it's really a call to like look at this area again. You'll crush your number, but this is the way you can. So what do you think, Tony? When we think about where the biggest gap is in sales tech uh, and even MarTech, there's a piece in the book I wrote called A Day in the Future of Tomorrow, and it paints this insane picture of a day in the life of a salesperson. And you read this thing and go, wow, you know, what a, what a work of fiction. Won't this be great if it ever happens one day? The punchline in what I wrote for this piece of the book is that every single piece of tech is here today. It's all here. The one thing that's missing, so to answer your question, where's the big gap? The big gap is the orchestration piece. Mm. Right. So there's all of this amazing tech. So for example, we've got tech that can automate the booking of a calendar appointment. We've got tech that can watch a Zoom call going on. We've got tech that can analyze the personality of the prospect on the other side of the camera. We've got tech that can monitor for buying signals. It can monitor talk time. It can provide coaching to the person. It can transcribe the call. It can turn it into a summary email. It can update the details in the CRM. It can automate the forecasting process and change the deal date. It goes on and on and on. But what's missing is the orchestration piece that pulls all of that together. And at the moment, humans need to be the middleware that actually gets this, this mashup of tech to work effectively. And that's why there's been this role of revenue operations. The idea is how do we bring people, process, technology together and also address this, this timeless, big, passive, aggressive problem in organizations of the relationship between sales and marketing. So how do we bring sales and marketing together and people, process and technology together on the sales piece and actually equip and enable people to actually be successful? I love that. I mean, yeah, great, great insights. And I could see that because that's, that's one of the barriers that I, I definitely see too, is, is just like, there's so much and it's like, how do you know when to focus on what at what time? Right. And then at the same time, manage it on a go forward basis, add, throw, not just one, but 10, 15, 20 bodies of people in there as well. It massively complicates everything. So that makes sense. And there's been a lot of push for RevOps starting to get more, more public, more pub, I should say, or more interest. Now let's go to the other side of it. What, what would you say is like, if you had a, to break it down to one single company or person that based on all your research and everything that you book that you're most impressed with when it comes to this space, who's the, the first person or company that comes to mind that you're like, wow, they're really doing things amazing. Like a good, a good company or person to model. 
Well, there's a there's a small startup that I'm involved involved in in the advisory board called called Trigger.ai. So it's Trigger without the e. <laughs> Trigger.ai, and and what they're trying to do is to help you uh, identify your ideal customer profile targets and then monitor for trigger events that occur that then enable you to contextualize outreach and apply your time and effort where there's highest propensity to buy and do it in a way that's higher up in the funnel, you know, rather than the, than the red ocean feeding frenzy, you know, when someone's signaled stronger intent. Mm-hmm. At, at the other end of the equation, you know, this, this is like an arms race. Um, AI and technology is changing the way that wars will be fought and won. And the nation with the most capital and the best tech is the nation that's going to win the wars. It's, you know, whether it's cyber war or whether it's war in the air uh, or eventually even down, you know, with the, with the blood and guts in the trenches, it'll come down to best tech. So, you know, companies like Salesforce, Adobe, Microsoft, you know, you look at what, what IBM's done with Watson. I, I still don't understand, you know, <laughs> why IBM hasn't done more amazing things with Watson, right? But but these companies have massive balance sheets, are investing huge amounts in tech, and they're investing in trying to bring it all together, right? Making a huge number of acquisitions. So so the giants, you know, I think will get bigger and continue to dominate. And then there'll be these niche specialists which will eventually get acquired themselves that are solving specific domain problems. Love that. Justin, you got anything? Yeah, I just keep watching Moneyball. It's just like baseball, right? The Yankees and the Red Sox kept winning, and those were the teams with the money. So right now, the major marketing clouds, uh, Salesforce, Oracle, Microsoft, are sitting back. And it's uh, like the um, Masayoshi-san Masayoshi-san from uh, SoftBank. It's like the flock of birds. They're just watching the sales engagement platforms compete. And the parallel assisted dialers compete and they're killing each other off and then who will they acquire but eventually the salesforce sales cloud will just buy up 25 of these technologies and oracle will buy them up and adobe will buy them up and they'll solve the orchestration problem that tony's talked about but the beauty is there's still the money ball so the beauty is the startups can still weave it together and stitch it with RevOps and write code to it and pull these macgyver stacks and these sort of like uh you know Mad Max, Road Warrior stacks, you know, and just go in there like and still challenge or create things that are just wild, you know. So that's the beauty of disruptive innovation. So I think we're going to see some tremendous mergers and acquisition motions. About $2 billion went into funding last year. Companies like Gong and Outreach and Salesloft, mega rounds, mega valuations. And that's just going to continue. And then the big companies are just going to buy up a ton of stuff. I mean, imagine if Salesforce, you know, bought something like Outreach. And then you got to watch ZoomInfo, the data vendors. ZoomInfo, $500 million in revenue. And they bought Chorus. So some of these vendors you don't think are capable of swooping up other companies are, are so profitable. They suddenly become players in the ecosystem. So it's going to be an exciting time. Great insights, gentlemen. I love the book. Highly recommend it. Tech-powered sales. Where can people find you? Where can they find the book if they want to pick it up? And um, anything else you'd like to say to the, to the listeners? The, the, the best way to find me is in LinkedIn. So Tony Hughes in LinkedIn or at tonyhughes.com.au. And if you want to look at my sales methodologies, you'll find them at salesiqglobal.com.
Yeah, and I just want to send people to the Hype Cycle, go to Market Games, and uh, yeah, uh, myself uh, or my co-founder, Julian Nimchinski, we've been creating these uh, really crazy battles between sales and marketing and doing revenue operations, deep dives, and uh, it's been an awesome way to actually simulate where this could all go. So uh, look for myself, uh, can't miss me, Justin Michael on LinkedIn, or type in GTM Games. I've uh, been having a blast with this. Thanks to all awesome. the, the vendors supporting it. <laughs> Love it. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. It was awesome hearing your perspective on this and definitely, I mean, gave me some great ideas on some things that, that I could execute on personally and then help my customers with. So I imagine anyone listening just has a ton to take away from it. So thank you. I appreciate you both for being on the show and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks again, Ryan. Thank you for checking out The Scale Up Show. My mission in life is to help founders and revenue leaders avoid all the pain and suffering in revenue growth so they can flip it and create a life of their own design. So if you enjoyed this show, please like, review, share it on social, and more importantly, just share it with a friend. Share it with someone that you think could learn and benefit from what you heard on today. But the more we get the message out, the more people we could help, the bigger the impact we make, and the bigger the community gets, which helps everybody. So once again, thank you for being a loyal listener. I appreciate you and look forward to seeing you on the next episode.